This is Coast to Coast. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Corey Johnson. We're here every day bringing the latest news in the world of business and finance. And the most interesting stories in global technology from Silicon Valley and beyond, powered by our more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Coast to Coast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. You can write me off, because I ain't given What you may give to the IRS may change as a result of tax overhaul working its way through Congress. Uh, I love this next story. It's among the most read on the Bloomberg today. Get your pen and paper, everyone, because here are six ways to make the new tax bill work for you if you act fast. Ben Steverman spent the weekend reading about the new tax plan. Uh, He wrote this story. He's our personal finance editor at Bloomberg News with us in our Bloomberg 1130 studio in New York. First of all, um, it's supposed to simplify things, right? It's how big is what they're proposing to do in terms of how much to read? There's a lot going on in this bill. It's it's not it's not tax simplification. There are some people that are not going to be able. They're not going to be itemizing their returns anymore. So it will be simpler for a large number of people people who go through that. But um, if you have a business, if um, that it just gets very very complicated in terms of planning. Okay, and there's a way to make this all work for you, but you say you got to act fast. Well, get, yeah. Well, the the tax bill, which hasn't passed yet, and, and it's possible it won't, but it looks like it will. Uh, the tax bill, most of the provisions don't go into effect until the new year. That gives you a window of time. Basically, anything you do in 2017, you're, it's going to be reflected on your tax return that you file in April. And that's going to be under the old rules. So there's some opportunity to do some things before the end of the year in this last two weeks um, that could lower your bill in April. And uh, it it basically takes into account the fact that the rules are going to be changing in the future. So in other words, you can sort of forward pay some taxes now because they're deductible in 2017 and they won't be in 2018. Yeah, you could do that. So there was – for example, the state and local taxes. Um, there was talk that there would be a way that people could prepay their state and local income taxes, but the bill actually shuts down that loophole. There's still a way, probably, that you, depending on where you live, and every ca- this is actually a county by county issue, but in some places you can prepay your property taxes. Um, and, and I would like to encourage yeah. all of our listeners; they can prepay my property taxes if they'd like. <laughs> uh, I, is that is that bad? I, I, you know, a little help, a little help. Um, seriously, though, so so prepaying it's going to make a difference, or not really? It depends on the situation. Okay, so it's, so it gets check. really complicated, especially if you're in under the alternative minimum tax. It might be a bad idea to do it. Um, there's some obvious ones. Wait, why would that be a bad idea? Uh, oh man, um, because uh, our listeners are smart. I we said, get it. your pad and paper. <laughs> uh, this gets really complicated. But basically, uh, the if you're under AMT, the alternative minimum tax, right. you, you can only take a certain amount of deductions, um, and so. Adding so in extra deductions, deductions in 2017, you. you wouldn't actually it wouldn't actually help you this year. So the time uh, value of money would be your loss if you if you calculate that incorrectly, right? Uh, you're going to owe those property taxes anyway. Yeah, you're going to own those ta- property taxes in, anyway, and there's even a chance that you might be able to use some of them. You're going to be able to use probably ten thousand dollars of those property taxes next year, assuming you don't pay state taxes, uh, yeah, or local taxes. Yeah, most of our assuming listeners you don't live in, in that Jersey, fantasy Connecticut, land, California. <laughs> right. Hey, but you, you, you do Otherwise say- known as Nevada, the fantasy land known as Nevada or Washington State. <laughs> um, you can give to charity. That can help? 
Yes. So that's an obvious one. So they're taking away a lot of deductions from people. And they're also – there's a situation where if you itemize now, there's a good chance you won't be itemizing next year. So the only way you get credit on your taxes from a, for a charitable deduction is if you itemize. So if you itemize this year, um, you might want to give extra to charity this year. Um, maybe even do several years of charity donations if you can afford it because you might not be able to, to really d- deduct those on your taxes for years to come. So if you give a chunk of change to charities this year and say this is for this year, this is for next year, this is for 2019, you can do that and that will be deductible. It will carry over. Yes. Because you, you, you have to make the donation here in this year. Yeah. Well, or no. Well, all, all it's doing is lowering your 2017 taxes. Right. But the idea okay. being, in future years, you might not be able to lower your taxes because of a charitable, based on a charitable deduction. There's still the charitable deduction in the tax code that still exists. It's just that so f- so few people are going to be itemizing because they doubled the standard deduction and because they took away a lot of other deductions, like the state and local taxes, that would get you over the threshold. <laughs> so the, the, the fear is that people will give less to charity because they because since yeah they're not, a lot of charities since they're worried. not itemizing, why bother? Right. Right. Charities are worried about this. Hire a tax preparer. Just get about 30 seconds. Um, so they're taking away your ability to deduct costs of tax preparation. That includes talk tax software and accountants. So you might want to prepay for software uh, for next year or go see an accountant if you can get in there. It, it's going to be tough. They're busy. So, thanks. so basically, we got a lot of money you can spend it this year. For all of you sitting on tens of thousands of dollars exactly. quick. Yeah. Great stuff. <laughs> Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I just, some changes that are going to be tough for a lot of Americans. Uh, Ben Steverman, personal finance editor at Bloomberg News in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. Check him out at bsteverman on uh, Twitter. talk a little bit about making money. Uh, our next guest um, manages the Plum Balanced Fund, consistently beating just about all of its peers annually over the past five years. Here to talk strategy and uh, about the overall investment environment, Tom Plum. He's president of Wisconsin Capital Management, portfolio manager, as I mentioned, of the Plum Balanced Fund, based in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, typically, but uh, in our Bloomberg 1130 studio here with Corey and myself on this Monday. Welcome. Thank you. Um, tell me a little bit about... Um, the market environment and how you see it at this point. You've seen a lot of up and down cycles. The, the stock market. Well, we think. Well, and you guys, as a balanced fund, can do both the stock market and, and bonds as well. Yeah, the plum fund strategy is a little different than a lot of balanced funds because our equity strategy is growth oriented, and our fixed income strategy is a little more conservative than others. We use the fixed income to moderate the volatility of the stock market. And we believe that stocks go up because they grow. So we have a focus on growth in the equity part. So, uh, Tom, one of the things I've been looking at, uh, of course, of late has been Bitcoin and the valuation placed on the currency. And the valuation He's Bitcoin, smiling because he, he – can I just say, Corey, came he's like, what are you guys going to talk about? I'm like, I don't know. We could go anywhere kind of thing. So well, Bitcoin. Just, it, it has captivated the markets. I think it's captivated people to look yeah. at the markets. And, uh, and and there are some good reasons for that. There are also some ridiculous uh, nature to that because it's so um, ethereal. But the notion that Bitcoin has a greater value right now, all the Bitcoins out there, than Visa – which is a fairly effective and actual profitable uh, payment system, uh, is, is, is mind-boggling to me. And I wonder, Tom, what you think of that. 
Well, first of all, Visa is our largest holding in the Plum Balance Fund. And yeah, that's the Plum why I'm Equity asking. Fund. <laughs> and when you think about it, uh, Bitcoin, and there's about 400 different competitive platforms out there right now, uh, there is a lot of speculation on it. And it's hard to tell what the true value is for something like that. But the blockchain technology to protect uh, data security and mm-hmm. financial transactions, companies like Visa are going to participate in it. They have already have initiatives in that area, and we think that uh, however people buy and sell things, they're going to use Visa. So something like Bitcoin or another digital currency ether that's out there, it's not a case of it replacing Visa. Instead, Visa is going to tap what's the backbone of kind of managing those currencies, and that is blockchain. Right. They're going to use that data because it's going to eventually, once they quit taking all the data and all the bandwidth in the world for it, uh, once they come up with that technology change, then someone like Visa is going to use it because of the security nature. Does it bother you that uh, I'm just looking at Visa? It's up about 45 percent so far this year. Does it ma- does it matter to you, or you feel more comfortable with you feel comfortable that it can go even higher from here? We think that the long run with Visa is still ahead of it. Uh, they um, they're about 43 cents on every dollar that's traded on the internet for purchases, and about 15 cents in the United States for physical. Forty-three cents of every dollar traded on the internet goes through Visa. Because think about mm-hmm. it, Visa is the backbone for PayPal, yeah, uh, Apple true. Pay. So they've expanded so many uses, and it all comes down in the United States using Visa as a backbone. So, uh, is is a new, so you really see this kind of as a play on on the movement of retail for, for away from physical retail to e-commerce. That's one of the big plays. And, and our focus at the Plum Funds has been not so much what people buy, but how they're going to buy it. And we think that the credit cards, PayPal, um, Alibaba, Amazon, all those things, uh, people are going to buy through those uh, channels rather than um, you know, where they buy or what they buy. Do you play the transportation sector equally then, UPS, something like that, or FedEx? No, we have not. Because you and don't see the same benefit? Because we think that uh, the competition that Amazon has with those could actually change to competition. They Interesting. Have, yeah, 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 they've we, been buying, we, we, right, leasing planes and doing things like that. Yeah, we already see that, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you another one of your holdings, uh, uh, Constellation Brands out of uh, mm-hmm. good old Victor, New York. Um, but what do you like about that? It, it's such a, uh, you know, it's a roll-up in a lot of ways, and sometimes those can be uh, dicey uh, uh, propositions. The, well, you know, about half their sales is in the beer industry. And uh, when you look at the difference in the beer industry in the United States, it grows about 1% a year at the most. Uh, the craft brew business has been growing at about 12 14% a year. Constellation with Modella, Corona, Pacifica is about 60% of the nationwide growth in craft beers. So, um, so And they've got it. They have it, um, and they have the Latin uh, population um, with, you know, Modell, Corona, and we think that they'll continue to expand that. Constellation Brands, by the way, so popular among hedge funds that 14 of them have more than 5% of their disclosed equity investment in the stock. This was a Bloomberg story that came out in mid-November. Well, and one reason might be that they're actually making some investments in, in legal marijuana. 
Right. Uh, they they have uh, 10% interest in the largest uh, cannabis company in Canada, and it, they have warrants to expand that. And as it becomes legal and grows in Canada, I think they'll participate. And they also have the opportunity once it becomes legal in the United States. And that's one of your top ten, right? Constellation. Um, we've run out of time. Come back. It's fun right. talking names with you. We really appreciate it. Um, Tom Plum, President, Wisconsin Capital Management, Portfolio Manager of the Plum Balanced Fund, uh, normally based in Madison, Wisconsin. Cold there? Is it cold there? Yeah, of course it's cold there. <laughs> it's it's not Wisconsin cold in December. <laughs> All right. Jeez, what kind of All question right. is that? This is Bloomberg. All right, time for the chart of the day from our Bloomberg Stocks columnist. Was Dave that REO? It was. Nice That's good, Corey. I, I don't know if it's good that I know that. I might, maybe I wish I didn't know that. Well, I may whatever. have seen them perform that one in, in my youth. Oh, well, did you? There you go. That's a whole other story for another day. But keep pushing is really uh, what some analysts are expecting out of stocks. I mean, even though we're seeing momentum at its highest level since the 1950s. And the way that you figure that out is that you look at a relative strength index. Basically, you're looking at you know, closing values over time relative to trading ranges. It can be anywhere from zero to 100, depending on you know, where that close stands. Usually, they take a look at 14 trading days. In this case, it's a matter of looking back over a longer time frame, so it's 14 weeks instead. A 14-week relative strength index, RSI, as it's often called by the chart watchers. Last week, this indicator closed at 83.4, the highest level since January 1959, which raises the question, if it's peaking, will stocks follow suit? And it's something that Doug Ramsey over at Luthold Group uh, looked at, uh, and he went back through the entire history of the S&P 500 and then some. But if you just look at the S&P, there are numbers back to 1928, you find out that there are really, he looked at 15 bull markets and only twice did you see this momentum indicator and the actual index peak at the same time during a bull market. So his conclusion is that there's so much momentum in stocks right now that they're likely to keep rising for a while. Or, to put it another way, keep pushing higher. And uh, if you want to know more, folks, send me an email. I'll get you the chart, the explanation that goes with it, and everything I do going forward. The email address is dwilson at bloomberg.net. That's dwilson at bloomberg.net. All right, Dave Wilson. Thank you so much. Our Bloomberg Stocks columnist, Dave Wilson. So another day, another story or stories on Bitcoin. This time around, how the world's biggest exchange just joined the Bitcoin revolution. Our Bloomberg News senior financial editor, Rob Urban, has the update. Lucky for you, you get to keep track of Bitcoin. Uh, well, I think it's kind of the year of Bitcoin. There's a, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of interest. I, I, something about 2,000% uh, gain tends to get people's attention. I know. I feel like all of a sudden we've... <clears throat> Corey and I have been talking about it for a long time, uh, I feel like, uh, on this program, because we tend to focus on a lot of technology uh, stories. But I feel like all of a sudden it's just a wave. 
everybody's jumped on board. Yeah, well, you know, it started out with uh, uh, as the the project of people who were sort of anti-government, anti-bank, yeah. and they, you know, they had their own uh, payment system. And a lot of those people are still, you know, big holders of of Bitcoin. But you know, it was kind of a contrary indicator of uh, of confidence in institutions. The the lower the confidence, the higher Bitcoin went until it went up so much that just everybody got on board and it became sort of a momentum uh, play. Uh, but what's happening now with uh, CME, the world's biggest exchange, as you point out, is um, you know another another step of bringing Bitcoin to Wall Street, which is a mm-hmm. bit of a weird thing, as I said, <laughs> since it was sort of invented as an alternative to Wall Street. But uh, uh, you know, people are uh, are now able, institutions are now able to uh, to to uh, gain uh, from the rise or fall of uh, of Bitcoin without actually owning Bitcoin, right? Which they cannot do, right? Because it's not regulated as it, a currency. It, it depends. I mean, you know, yeah, most big mutual funds, big money managers are, are going to be restricted from buying Bitcoin itself. Does that make this more of a bullish uh, moment? Because, uh, uh, you know, the or, or is this going to be kind of equal because they can be both long and short here? Uh, well, I mean, I guess in a way that remains to be seen. Uh, if if we want to talk about uh, Bitcoin right now as a bubble, and everyone likes to use that word, or a lot of people are using that word, even people who are sort of proponents, uh, Mike Novogratz says, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bubble, let's buy it, basically. But, um, you know, it, it, up until now, it's a bubble that was inflated largely by individuals, which is uh, which is a kind of unprecedented. I've covered a number of bubbles in my career, uh, the housing bubble, most notably, and yeah. uh, uh, the dot bubble, both of which were the creations of Wall Street, you know, so um, it This bas- wasn't the creation of Wall Street, though. It is interesting, right? This is a very different story. Wall Street is actually still being been, being very cautious about it. They're moving into it very slowly. They, Like I say, they're interested in those big returns, and they're, they're interested in the idea, but uh, you, you don't see you know, a lot of institutional money going in yet. Rob, just got about 40 seconds. What are the kind of volumes that we're seeing with these futures uh, contracts, Bitcoin futures contracts? Well, um, I actually have haven't checked today, but uh, CME so far, uh, uh, the last time I looked, was about four or five times higher than CBOE, but still both way, way below, you know, gold or oil or, you know, wheat or any of the other contracts. Still a, still that, a little that, bit know. of a mellow mark. I mean, not a ton of participation. Well, it's it's a, a just getting started. And there are quite a lot of brokers that do not actually uh, offer their clients access. I talked to... Uh, uh, TD Ameritrade last week, just looking at the retail side. And as of today, they offered access to their clients to the CBOE futures, but not the CME futures. They're going to watch them for a little while. E-Trade still isn't in either one, but they're also studying. All right. Well, we'll I'm sure we'll be checking back with you. Uh, in 2018, that may too be the year of Bitcoin. We'll see. <laughs> Rob Urban, our senior financial editor here at Bloomberg News in our Bloomberg studio. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. Yeah, how about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. These it is, drive to the close. We're joined right now by Doug Sioka, the CEO of KVAR Capital, uh, joining us from Leewood, Kansas. And uh, Doug, um, one of the things we've talked about in the past, and I'm, I'm so interested in your thoughts are about this correlation in this market, the way that uh, that 
picking stocks almost seemed like it wasn't worth it because stocks tend to all all trade uh, in tandem. I wonder what you see yeah, the correlation good. going forward. Well, I, I think it's going to have to deviate. Thanks for having me on, Corey. You know, I think going into 2017, we really felt like it was going to be beneficial to tilt toward active management, did not see such persistent and, and frankly, reasonably indiscriminate buying as would be the case as it's persisted throughout the year. It's hard to imagine that's going to be the case going into 2018, just with valuations as full as they've become. I got to ask you, you. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you done? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wanted to ask you because you sent over some notes and you said, you know, we were certainly incorrect going into 2017 that it would be beneficial to tilt toward active management. Uh, and we constantly talk about, you know, how people are going into passive management and so on. Um, yeah. What do you think about next year, Doug? Does it just continue? Why would it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think it will, Carol. I, I think in, when you look and if you try to put different points of reference or guideposts based on prior markets and where prices are supported by valuations. And if you look at 2018, everything that worked was growth stock oriented, right? Up and down the cap spectrum across the world. And what had been neglected were some very high quality companies that were in very boring businesses that um, right now, you could say this is kind of a yield play, right? If you, if you took the S&P 500 and, and cut it into quartiles, amazingly, through November, the top 125 yielding stocks in the S&P have appreciated barely 3%, while those that de-emphasize dividends and free cash flow generation and, and kicking off um, income to their shareholders have appreciated by over 25%. So there's a second Wait, wait, so get it to me again. So, so companies, companies have been buying back shares. Companies that have been increasing dividends have seen their stocks rise significantly higher than other companies in the S and P five hundred. So, I, so if you look at Corey, the the the, the yield yielding stocks. So granted, if you're retaining earnings using cash flow to buy your shares back, right, that's not going to be embedded in that number. But the stocks that pay dividends to shareholders, which is part of a business model. Um, leaning in tendency anyway, right? Telecom services and energy, two of the bigger dividend play sectors in the S&P, both are negative, right? They're actually the only two negative sectors in the S&P 500 this year. So those that kick out their free cash flow to their shareholders versus buying back stock, making acquisitions, or retaining that capital have actually seen woeful underperformance so far this year. So we think that's due to change. That's going to change. Not not just – well, give, give me a reason other than if you got one besides the fact that it hadn't happened in a while, so it's due to happen. Well, I mean, in that – I mean, that, that's a big part of it, right? I mean, just in generally mathematically, your expected return calculation has to go up with the, the weakness of your performance, provided that your earnings are growing faster than your price. So you have these two sectors, and Jeff Gunlock made a great point about this the other day. In the commodity universe, and we think in the telecommunications sector, where you've seen actually appreciable growth in EPS but no movement in share price. So now you have very attractive multiple stocks that have significant yield premiums to other available sources of income that have um, 
have, have, have not moved at all, right? So you have low PE, high dividend yield, and, and poor performers should equate to higher expected returns on a quantitative basis. Now, if they hold some attractive on a qualitative basis, maybe they all just need to throw the word blockchain into their names and massive amounts of capital will come into them. But we think that if you think about different catalysts for earnings for the market or for the sectors, those exist within both commodities and telecommunications. And to us, it's, it's, it's sort of a double benefit because we're looking for yield in this market to begin with. I mean, what did we read the other day that um, right now the two-year bond yields more than the S&P 500? I mean, it has to be an indication of price exceeding valuation to a certain extent, at least from the standpoint of perpetuation and just making a passive investment like Carol had indicated. So, okay. I like your Bitcoin idea better. <laughs> blockchain. I, I was blockchain, a blockchain, blockchain. There we go. I, yeah, I was watching the old, uh, old news, man. It's all blockchain. I was listening to Tony Romo on the call yesterday in the uh, the Steelers Patriots game, and, and the, the, when the, the with a minute left, and they rent about eighty yards in the field in two plays. Romo said, "I don't know why they don't do that all the time. Why don't they should just move eighty <laughs> play?" <laughs> so I agree. Just put blockchain on it and let her run. Seems so easy. Absolutely. Uh, so are you switching your portfolio allocations or suggesting folks do it? Um, Doug, just got about 25 seconds here. We're not, Carol. I mean, yeah. what we, 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 we try to do is from a bottoms-up perspective, look for opportunities that uh, present uh, interesting entry points. And right, you always have to be conscientious, even within your sort of typical areas of comfort, identifying proverbial paradigm shifts. Right. If Amazon is a shift, if cryptocurrencies are a shift, the way right. people are buying things, what they're using to buy them, you've got to tune into that. But no, we don't abandon our, you know, our discipline. All right. Doug, we got to run. Have a great holiday. Doug Sioka, Chief Executive Officer Partner, Cover Capital Partners on the phone in Leewood, Kansas. That's a good one, Paul Brennan, our producer. Uh, Brian Manning uh, joins us right now, the president of Centric Digital, uh, talking about what the, the blue time some retailers are, are feeling, at least uh, bricks-and-mortar retailers, as we face a new world of online shopping. Uh, Brian, I, I'm, I'm struck by sort of the this is the year where we're really feeling this, what has been actually pretty a, a long grind towards a more uh, digital commerce world. Yeah, it, it, 2017 was definitely the year of the retail apocalypse, and a lot of people are using Amazon as the major factor. But it's really not the only one. Uh, the traditional retailers are still lagging behind uh, the consumer expectations, which a lot of these digitally native companies like Amazon are resetting in terms of their digital experience and shopping. Um, you know, we, we measure uh, hundreds of brands at Centric Digital using our own classification system, Dimensions, which looks at over 3,000 digital best practices. And we find that a lot of uh, traditional retailers are, are lagging behind in mobile app and store integration capabilities. It's it's pretty much their number one mix. So it's not bad to have a brick-and-mortar location, but it's got to be really kind of tied in seamlessly with your mobile application. Exactly. And, in fact, there are a lot of new brands coming out. In, in fact, single-category uh, products like Allbirds. In the past, you've had Warby Parker and the like, where they are opening up stores. So clearly, a retail presence is critical. It's just integrating that as one experience across all your channels. Some people call it omni-channel and right. so on. But specifically, the mobile app capabilities, when you're in those stores or when you're in other stores and doing comparisons, is what's really missing with a lot of 
uh, traditional retailers. What's the ideal matchup between a store and their mobile app? Is it just a case of if I can't find it there, I can find it easily on my mobile app and have it sent to me, or what is it? And, and look, it, dep- it, ma- it yeah. depends on your business. I mean, obviously, um, you know, being in store, finding out product info by just scanning the barcode or scanning the item itself, right. uh, being in a large store and being able to quickly find what you're looking for by getting a map of the store that's actually navigable. Uh, you know, retailers are dancing around some of these capabilities, but they're not as slick as the digital native uh, implementation of, of those. Um, you know, we recently partnered with uh, JD Power, and uh, they have an upcoming mobile app certification program launching in early 2018, where we're really going to help them uh, identify what are exceptional mobile app experiences for many industries. Well, to Can that, I just I mention mean, a headline yeah. crossing. Uh, Senate Republicans appear to have the votes to pass the tax cut uh, bill, the tax overhaul bill. So that just crossing the Bloomberg. We've been tracking kind of um, whether or not they've been able to line up the votes. So it does appear that the Senate Republicans indeed do have the votes to pass uh, their tax bill measure. Okay. Forgive wow. me. Go ahead, Corey. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's all right. I just, I, I, you wonder that at a certain point if, if trying to fix uh, bricks and mortar retail is just a waste of time for a lot of these companies and that they might want to look at uh, for certain types of companies might look better as digital only. Uh, it, you know, look, starting digital only and then figuring out where retail fits into that mix is certainly where you see a lot of these new emerging brands going. Uh, you know, everyone from Apple, which is arguably traditional, but they started the better retail experience all the way up to some of the newer companies I mentioned. They are all dabbling in retail. Um, they're not opening hundreds or thousands of stores, but they're, they're certainly seeing retail as a core part of their offering. Um, in terms of the traditional retailers that have only existed in retail environments, uh, they have a lot of work to do, um, but they do have, in a lot of cases, the physical presence, the, um, the brand name, and so on. If they just really invest in transforming their digital capabilities, including those that integrate their retail experience, um, they, they probably have a, a good shot in some cases. Brian, what's going to be the retail story we're talking about in 2018? I feel like t- this year was, you know, more retail demise. Watch out what's Amaz- Amazon's doing at this point. And I know you say it's not just Amazon, it's other things. But what do you think it's going to be 2018, a continuation uh, uh, or something different? Well, I think, again, there's a lot of these uh, category, single category consumer products that are coming out, and I think they are changing what retail Such looks as? like. Allbirds was one example recently. Um, you know, Warby Parker and Casper's have been around for a while, but you, yeah. you're starting to see them opening up retail experiences or putting themselves in retail situations. Casper sells their mattresses through some traditional retailers. I think that's definitely one thing. I mean, we're certainly looking at other industries as well, continuing to face disruption. Um, I know a lot, a lot of debate around Tesla, but they could become the auto industry, Amazon. Uh, you know, online nano degrees are really taking on the education establishment. So there's a lot of change continuing in all of these industries. Department stores dead, just quickly? Uh, I would say the mall is definitely dying and going to have to change how it's being used. Uh, big department stores, um, they're going to be very challenged as well. I think these brands are trying to control the retail experience themselves. So if they go with leasing out the space, potentially not dead. Uh, trying to just sell a mash of products in a different store environment. I don't know. It's, it doesn't seem to be the way of the future. Yeah. Drama. <laughs> <laughs> More drama. Good for the Although, consumer, uh, though. Like we'll teenage, talk about this Tesla or the Amazon of whatever. <laughs> That's what but it's like. Lots of drama. Yeah. Uh, Brighton Manning, fun to check in with you. Have a great holiday. Thank you.
Brian Manning, president, co-founder at Centric Digital in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. This is Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I feel the earth move under my feet. You move like they do. I've never seen anyone move that fast. Shake. Shake. All right, people, let's move like we've got a purpose. It's called Movers and Shakers. They cost a little more, but that name cracked me up. Bloomberg Markets, Movers and Shakers with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Yes, indeed, everybody. Time for your winners and losers, movers and shakers on this Monday afternoon. S&P 500, 362 names in the index higher today, 138 lower, five unchanged. Um, bah humbug, little Scrooge on Wall Street today. Uh, Toys R Us, which filed for bankruptcy in September, Doug was talking about this, uh, considering closing at least 100 U.S. stores in the face of weak holiday sales. This is according to people with knowledge of the situation. U.S. sales have declined about 15% this Christmas shopping season from a year early. According to those uh, recently briefed on the matter, they asked not to be identified because the information not public quite yet. The number of closed stores could reach approximately 200, according to those in the know. So we saw this play out on Wall Street. Toys R Us, uh, that um, company uh, is not the one I want to talk about. I want to actually talk about uh, yes. Mattel because Mattel was the number one uh, decliner in the S&P 500. I've been watching the toy stocks because they are often among winners and losers uh, in the S&P 500 biggest. Mattel, though, down, Corey, 4.1% in today's session. Hasbro, let me quick bring up the name and the ticker, down 2.7%. So, you know, these are the guys that sell at Toys R Us, right? This is a big outlet for them. So if Toys R Us is shutting down some of their brick-and-mortar stores, it's certainly going to impact uh, these names potentially, or it will. Yes, indeed. Yes, um, indeed. What do you got for us? I'm looking at one that uh, <laughs> is it's really making me miss my old days as an investor. Uh, UBI Blockchain Internet LTD. $3.3 billion valuation today after a 22% rise in the stock. Stock is up 867% in the last week. That's all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has just 18 employees. It's based in China. It claims to be involved in both blockchain and the Internet of Things and drug discovery somehow. A little bit of everything. And China. What more do you want? Buy the stock. No results. (laughs) Um, It's fairly amazing. And I've been uh, perusing the uh, the 10K before we came in on the air today, or the S1, because they're selling a lot of shares. Uh, The companies were initially uh, organized not as a blockchain company, not as an Internet of Things company, not even a Chinese company. It was just called JA Energy out of Nevada. All and right. now it's a three billion dollar blockchain company. Put blockchain in the title, right? Yeah, well, blockchain in and Internet of Things. <laughs> the Internet of Things. Just throw it all in there. Uh, Akamai Technologies, number one gainer in the S and P five hundred, up thirteen point seven percent today. Upgraded to outperform over at Credit Suisse. They put a price target of seventy five bucks a share. Stock closed at sixty five, sixty seven a share in today's session. It is hmm, what's it doing in twenty seventeen? It's down about one and a half percent. 
Uh, and so, uh, yeah, a little bit of an upgrade uh, and that caused that stock. AMD, by the way, too, uh, your number two gainer in the S&P 500, if I can just throw that one in uh, as well. Stock up uh, 6.7% in today's session uh, to 10.98 a share. Uh, and that was upgraded to neutral over at Macquarie. And that's another uh, Bitcoin play because some people look at that and say that a lot of the Bitcoin miners are using AMD chips. Oh. And that their surge in sales have, has been a result of, of uh, people using that to mine cyber uh, currencies. Yeah. Okay. What else you got? Uh, well, yeah, I was just going to mention AMD. I think uh, we're, we're good. <laughs> we're Let's- good? You want to, all right, let's do this. Let's get to the VIX. Let's do that. Uh, the Volatility Index Report, time for the VIX. We sat a little bit higher today. It is brought to you by SIBO, VIX Options and Futures. Volatility can be harnessed with SIBO, VIX Options and Futures. See disclosures and learn more at cboe.com slash Powerful Outcomes VIX. And the VIX, uh, Corey, just up a hair, up six tenths of a percent. The VIX closing, though, at 9.47, so below that 10 mark. This is Bloomberg. All right, Dave, you're up. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Dave. Wilson, where are you? Wilson! Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? We're going for the price on Wilson. Open up the door, it's Dave! Who? Dave! Hey, Mr. Wilson! Dave Wilson joins us right now. As you can tell, he's brought with him his stock of the day. Indeed. Before I get to that, I just want to mention with Akamai Technologies, yeah. Yeah. late Friday we found out that Elliott Management, the activist <gasps> investor, right. yes. bought a 6.5% stake. They're talking yep. with a company. Maybe they'll push for a deal. When Elliott gets involved, people pay attention. That's why, as much as anything, Akamai's shares were up. For the stock of the day, I wait, want wait, to... Wait, wait, wait. So then... Credit Suisse paid attention. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's on the part board. of it. Absolutely. All right. It's all part of the mix. But just stock of the day. Covanta Holding. This is a company that you might say turns trash into treasure. They build plants that generate energy from municipal waste. You can call them resource recovery centers if you like. The company certainly does. Now, several of these centers are in my home state of New Jersey, which makes sense because the company's based in Morristown, New Jersey. And by the way, billionaire Sam Zell serves as the chairman of the I am company. not making jokes about New Jersey and Waste management. Good idea. Covanta's shares trade under the ticker CVA. They had quite the bull market between 2003 and 2008 when they soared a hundredfold to a record. Stock then gave back about half its gain and has been pretty much range-bound ever since. Today was an up day for Covanta thanks to the signing of a joint venture deal with Macquarie's Green Investment Group. The venture will build and own waste-to-energy plants in Ireland and the U.K. As a first step, Macquarie will pay $160 million for a 50% stake in a Dublin Resource Recovery Center. Now, Covanta generates next to no revenue outside the U.S. now, so the international expansion was a welcome move. The stock climbed 9.7% on the day, and that was its biggest one-day advance since February 2012. Prospect. Prospect of overseas expansion. True enough, but like I say, if Macquarie's already getting involved mm. with this one investment, and they've identified half a dozen different uh, projects that they want to work on through this joint venture. All right, cool stuff. Dave, I think thanks. the story's garbage. Really? No. You get it? See? Garbage. Still not that? forgiving you for the New Jersey and waste, <laughs> even though you didn't go Corey, there. just don't trash up the airwaves, okay? Oh, my God. Such junk. All right. Uh, Dave Wilson, thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. And follow us on Twitter. She's at Carol Masser, and I'm at Corey TV.